welcome to the Staying Conscious podcast. Back again with season three and the first episode. And uh, I'm very excited to start this season. Uh, I was extremely happy with the last season, and I hope you guys were as well. Uh, so let's just get this thing started again. I have a guest today here. Uh, if you guys remember who listened my episode with Martin Richards, uh, I asked him to connect with me with a few coaches who perhaps I can talk to about the topic of self-help, personal development. And uh, he did. And one of these people is a na guy named Christian Wirth. And he is uh, coming to me live from Paris now. Christian, how are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, chatting with you. Perfect. And by the way, you are, are you in Paris, by the way? Or, no, no, I know no. you're in France. I, I grew up in Paris, but after a, a, a very sort of multinational life, I decided when I came back to France to settle uh, away from large cities. And I, I, I live in a small village at the bottom of the Pyrenees Mountains. And uh, it's called Saint-Pé-sur-Nivelle, and nobody knows about it. But I have a very nice house, internet, and I work with my clients' distance. Uh, I've been doing that uh, for many years now. Uh, so um, it's the right place for the right time, particularly in these COVID days. COVID yeah. hasn't really come into our village yet, so we... Wow. It's a good place. No, so I'm in the southwest, near, near the Atlantic Ocean and very close to the Spanish border. Okay, I see. All right, that's nice. And you mentioned about clients because uh, you're, you're a coach, right? I'm a coach. I've been, I've been a, I trained, uh, I trained uh, in 1998 and I've been uh, coaching since. Uh, at the beginning, I was doing it much face-to-face. -face. I was living in the UK at the time. Uh, but um, I soon realized that my clients were not within a radius of 10 or 15 miles from where I was living in the UK because my network, my connections, the people I know uh, are all over the world because I have worked sort of all over the world. Yeah. So I started working uh, through the telephone and through the internet and uh, realized that distance coaching works very well. And I also realized that for some strange reason, people um, open up on the telephone when they don't have to look into the eyes of somebody else. Mm. Um, that's, that's what you see lots of people do. They talk on the phone and, and, and they open up and they, and they tell uh, things that perhaps they wouldn't mentioned face to face that's very um, strange mm. but so uh, I've been a coach for uh, a long time and um, I coach in three languages I'm a member of the International Coach Federation and these, and, uh, these days I'm also fairly active as an assessor uh -huh. uh, for the accreditation exams credentialing exams for the International Coach Federation I see. So, yes, I am a coach. Well, it sure sounds like it. And you, and you were involved with the exams as well? Like you're one of... Yes, I'm one of the assessors. And that means that people who want to be credentialed by the International Coach Federation have to pass exams. 
There are three levels at the International Coach Federation, the ACC, Associate Credential Coach, then there's the PCC, uh, Professional Credential Coach, and then at the top there is the MCC, Master Credential Coach. And at each level, mm. the candidates have to pass a written exam and uh, submit uh, actual coaching sessions that they've run and, and taped. And uh, then assessors like me receive the audio uh, and with the transcript and we listen and we evaluate uh, on battery of <clears throat> criteria which are very fixed. We uh, assess whether the candidate has the required um, abilities. Mm -hmm. And so we just send it back and uh, the ICF takes care of the administration and final steps. But yes, wow, so you'll, you'll find that I usually give long answers to small questions. But that was one. That's uh, well, that's perfect. And I'm just, I just want to ask you out of curiosity, when you've listened to these recordings, are there any, like some coaching sessions that just like blow your mind? Or do you think that it's like, What's the what's the range? <laughs> oh, the how range, you judge yeah. these uh, sessions? This is interesting because um, <clears throat> the range is very wide. Um, first, because of the three levels that I've mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. if you listen to an associate credential coach candidate, then um, the coaching skills um, are not very. Uh, developed but they are, they are sort of uh, good but beginners but if you listen to a master credential coach obviously uh, then in terms of coaching techniques in terms of the subtleties in terms of um, the interrelationship between the client and the coach uh, it's it's delightful so uh, that's one uh, thing in terms of range the other one is that it's amazing to see that some people submit material which is quite inadequate. Mm. Uh, uh, tapes which have been edited and it's obvious that the tape had been edited or uh, transcripts which do not reflect the, um, uh, what's really said in the tape. Um, oh. And that to me, that blows my mind that somebody would have either the guts or the stupidity to send in material which, you know, any decent coach will realize that the material has been tweaked. We have a code of ethics at the ICF. Yeah. If somebody sends a material that's been tweaked, um, it's disqualification. Yeah, but anyway, of course. Uh, your question was about the, the range of, of uh, um, I suppose, qualities of the coaching, but it's also a range yeah. of topics. Some people are very much based on the, or focused on the who, the, the, uh, the, the individual and the, the, the challenges that they have, uh, and others are focused on the what, which is mm -hmm. the, 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 what they, what they will, the situation they're in and what they have to do. Um, and the coach has to um, look at both aspects, you know, the, the facts and the options, and also um, the person and the emotions without going into therapy or counseling. There's lots of nuances here between the various disciplines, but the coach doesn't go into anything that approaches therapy and the coach doesn't 
give any advice. Mm. The principle of coaching, at least the way the International Coaching Federation thinks it should be, is that the client has the resources. So the coach is there to help the client find his own resources, his or her own resources. Mm. And that's a very subtle dance. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's also an art. I mean, I know many coaches. And well, first of all, people sometimes have a misconception about coaching. Um, many, many. And that's, you know, because it's an entire world. If you, if you have never explored that world, then you, you don't know anything about it. And that unfortunately brings many misconceptions. And one of which is that, that people think that a coach should give advice, which is not true. Yeah. It's yeah. guiding. It's, it's basically guidance through the right mm -hmm. question. Um, and of course, I mean, this also leaves a lot of responsibility in a way for the client and the way that they interpret these questions and how they react to it. And Absolutely. if they are trying to hide themselves in some way, the coach should be there and realize that. And that's like the sixth sense that you cannot mm. see because mm. what, what we see is just the coach asking questions, the body language, uh, the tone of voice, this and that. But there is this other layer to it that I think is the most interesting part which is that intuition of kind of knowing your client, feeling yeah. your client. And I, I, perhaps that's a thing that if you are a professional coach, you can see and you can realize within other coaches. And exactly. um, is that, do you feel like that's something that you can, I don't know, like feel or <laughs> judge oh, by the oh, way? Oh, yes, 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 mm. yes. Yes, I, th I think there is... Uh, there are some people uh, who are probably uh, more attuned to be a coach. Uh, and there are, uh, there is in the training of the people in their life evolution experiences, which can help them to be more sensitive to um, manifestations from the other person. And here, I, I think it would be interested to mention the, the visual or the non-visual. As I said, I work uh, distance and for a long time, I didn't have Zooms or Skype and I was doing it on the telephone. And somebody, somebody one day told me, but Christian, if you can't see your client's face, you know, you can't coach them. And I said, sure, yeah, I can. But what if they lie to you? What if, what if they tell you lies? Uh, and you can't see on their face that they're lying. And I said, well, first, it's difficult to identify on the face that somebody is lying. Uh, uh, but also, uh, with a bit of cynicism, I said, if the person is lying to me and paying me for listening to their lies, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but that was, that was a, a, a bit of a, a, a provocative uh, statement. Uh, but... What I was going to say is that because I worked on the phone, the listening, the, the, the acuteness of the listening, I could hear if somebody was smoking or twirling ice cubes in a glass or, or, mm. and, and, the, and I was getting trained to listen to the pace, to the inhalation, the exhalation. And it's so rich. It's such... Um, <clears throat> rich 
uh, source of information. Yeah. There is a drawback, however, <coughs> excuse me, uh, drawback that my eldest daughter <coughs> pointed to me at some time. She said one day, she said, Daddy, since you've become a coach, it's impossible to talk to you. And I said, darling, why do you say that? She says, because you listen, you identify, and you attribute meaning to everything we say and do. And I said, what's wrong with that, darling? She said, well, I can't be spontaneous with you anymore. I have to check everything I say or do. Oh. That was very powerful. That was a very powerful statement coming from, uh, she, it's, she was an earlier adult when she said that, but, but it's, it says that when you get, when I get in coaching mode, mm. you know, another layer of awareness, another layer of listening opens up. And one of the, um, one of the competencies that ICF uh, has defined and that an assessor listens to is active listening. Active yeah. listening is listening to everything. Everything. Right. And in one, one of the workshops that I give, uh, the Hara the Connection, where I teach people how to connect to the deepest level uh, uh, to another individual, I have uh, people who, when they practice this, that in the workshop, they come out and they're saying, they're in tears and they're saying, this is so amazing how you can connect to somebody. Yeah. Hmm. And in line with that, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop after that, um, I always um, say to young coaches who talk to me, I say the first thing you have to do at the beginning of a coaching session is in your head or physically, you say, I am here for you. Yeah. In other words, the coach has to sort of shed his or her uh, environment and and just be there, open, listen, ready, and and uh, yeah, ready to help, ready to interact, ready to build, ready to bring awareness or whatever it is that will help the client. Yeah. <clears throat> I see. Very interesting. Do you think that that ability to be willing to help and to really listen, because listening is an art form on itself, really. Yes. I mean, many people yes. do not know how to listen. It, yeah. it, it, is, it is something we can practice. But do, do you see that that's something that's taught in society, like in the mainstream? Is that something people talk about or is that something that's kind of kept under the hood? And um, but, but because it is something that could help people, generally speaking, I mean, in their lives as a whole. So why do we not get taught more of this? And what are the benefits of being able to listen to another person? This is a very complex question, Daniel, very complex. Um, I, I will try to uh, um, tackle it from a couple of angles. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is, the um, are we taught openness to uh, the presence and the essence of the other person? 
or other persons or other um, ethnic groups or other nations or other races. You see where I'm going. Yeah. We, we are not taught, uh, at least in most countries, I think, uh, to be eager to discover and to learn about what these others are and and what makes them special and and how and how they they are interesting and valuable uh, right. so that that would be a society uh, issue the mm. second angle that i i see to that is um modern society at least has been um inviting people to be themselves and assert their views or possibly prove that they're smarter than the other person. Mm. And that leads to an attitude where if, even if you're in a bar having a conversation, somebody is saying something, one of your friends saying something, and instinctively you're going to try and contribute, which is to add on top to to supplement uh, whatever that person was saying, and possibly because um, uh, cracking jokes and being witty is become also very popular, you're going to try. Uh, one is going to try to to crack a joke or to to add something that that makes you look good. Yeah. So there's no listening. There's no listening in cracking a joke about something that somebody said, um, and. Um, I think I have to there mention something which is uh, related to my advertising experience. I said to you, I spent close to two years in Frankfurt, Germany. At that time, I was worldwide account managing director for the Adidas account. I was with Jan Rubicam. I was in charge of all the advertising of Adidas in the whole world. Oh, wow. At that time, my client's number one competitor was Nike. Mm. And it was very interesting because Nike was sponsoring individual athletes and Adidas was sponsoring teams. Mm -hmm. uh, Adidas was very much Eastern Europe oriented and sponsoring soccer teams and sponsoring essentially team and promoting the team spirit. And Adidas at the time was sponsoring individual athletes, uh, tennis and various uh, um, distance runners and people like that. Um, and there was a strong competition. And I did, uh, Nike came up with a slogan that you know, there's no need to, everybody around the world knows that slogan, just yeah. do it. Yeah. Now, if you say just do it to a teenager, he or she does not understand that it's going to the end of the effort and, and, and just you know, doing what you're good at. He understands it as just, I want to do my thing, and they say I can just do it, so I do it, you know, and fuck the rest of the world, sorry for the word. Mm. And, and my family jokes about it and saying, Christine, you're, you're obsessed with your past advertising uh, thing and your past advertising rivalry with Nike but you're interpreting too far this just do it. And I'm not sure that I interpret it too far. I sense that 
in answer to your question, you know, why don't we listen? Why, don't, why aren't we sort of more prepared to listen? It's because we're in our own thing, just doing it. All right. Wow. Part of, that, part of the answer, but at least. Yeah, absolutely. About it. Well, it, it sounds to me like you've uh, been living in various countries and you have uh, a lot of experience. Um, have you, because you have been working with different clients from all over the world, mm -hmm. Do, do you think that there has been a difference um, when it comes to the people you coach depending on the country they, they live in? Is there a difference in the way they communicate? Are there any specific challenges perhaps that you've gone through or, or insights that you have realized along your journey of uh, a very broad perspective on coaching? Yeah. Yes, there are differences. Uh, I think probably everybody uh, visiting, uh, everybody from Europe visiting the United States or visiting South America or going to the Far East uh, will, will sense that uh, the, same, the same mechanisms don't necessarily apply. We, we you know, people from one culture will make uh, mistakes. Uh, um, mm. They... Uh, yeah, who from Europe knows that you never give, uh, you never bring a camellia to uh, to somebody who is ill in Japan? You know, why? How how should we know that? Why is that? It's because the camellia, the flower of the camellia, looks nice mm. one day, and the next morning it's on the floor, it's dead. Uh, so that it, it's sort of the camellia for the Japanese means that you know. Uh, death can happen anytime, even oh. if you if you even if you're good. So you don't bring a camellia to somebody who is in bed with with some disease, because if he's if that person is Japanese, it's, they just shrink and say, "Oh, take this away from me." Uh, it's a, just a small illustration, but even in the way people relate to each other, in the way people listen, in the way people. Um, um, catch each other's attention. Uh, going back again to an example in Japan, in, J in the Japanese language, um, it's if you're going to talk to, if you're going to say something that you want the other, other person to understand, you'll start with a sound that announces that you're going to say something. And it's not a sound, it's usually the word anone which means uh, uh, I'm going to say something, and then, and then the other person is um, attentive because they heard this anone which says this person is going to say something. Um, in the same way in Japan, if, they, if you're going to say something to somebody who is in a group, first you'll start by uh, saying that person's name. Mm. Or if you're going to talk about a topic which you want people to sort of uh, adjust thinking, understand your reference. You are going to, if you're going to talk about the size of the melons this year, you'll start by saying about the melons, the size this year is quite unusual. Yeah. So um, this is cultural. It's an attention to the other person and an eagerness to have a smooth interaction. Uh. Um, 
because it helps. You know, it, it helps to. It, it, it is the result of society, the population density, a number of things. Um, on on the other hand, perhaps if I try to find another characteristics. Um, um, Spanish people or people who speak Spanish have a, a, um, a they've had they've been immersed in Catholic culture uh, and they have a sort of uh, um, uh, moved away from um, um, full respect of the Catholic symbols. Um, the same way with Quebec in the people who speak French Canadian, uh, they speak, in my mind, they speak English, they speak American with French words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and when they swear, most swear words in, in French Canadians are again um, w- related to religion. So, I don't know whether that answers your question, but clearly there are distinctive um, uh, codes or dif- distinctive mannerism or whatever you want to call it. Another example about your question is one day I was in a forum uh, sponsored by the ICF where uh, we were trying to tackle the cultural differences so that when assessing um, uh, 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 a coaching session between two South Americans or between two Indians from India or between two people from the Philippines or two people from UK, uh, one would understand what to take in consideration so as not to measure their behavior and their interaction with only one yardstick. And uh, there was, there was no, almost no, I was the only Frenchman uh, in that um, webinar. And somebody said, who says some, who can say something about French? And then a woman, an American woman, jumped in and she said, oh, I, 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 I can say something about the uh, uh, cultural difference of the French. And so people said, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And I was interested to hear. And she said, well, I spent two years in Paris, and I can tell you, um, if you're going to live in France, you better be smart. And I thought, this is so odd. Why would a person say that? Why would a person say that? And then I went, I went back to um, uh, the, the societal differences and the education and uh, in relation to that, I can tell you that after my advertising career ended in Hong Kong, we came back uh, the long route with my wife and we, we drove Route 66 in the United States. Awesome. And at some point in time, my wife said, Christian, I finished my book. Let's, let's stop in the next town and uh, I want to buy a book. And we stopped on a small town and on Route 66 somewhere. And... Uh, we asked somebody, where can we find a book? And the person said, what? Where can we find a book? My wife would like to buy a book. No, there's no place you can buy a book here. What do you mean? There's no bookshop? No, no bookshop. Why? Everybody got a TV. Yeah. 
And what does that mean? What does that imply societally? It implies being fed rather than being observant and, and, and looking for information. So when you, when you, when you have, a, um, and I'm not saying that, you know, there's no bookshops in America, that would be completely stupid. Uh, but there, there are, there is a, a, a society built on a certain circulation of information leading to people being eager to discover mm. or, or being eager to be aligned. The fact that you have uh, tests which are multiple choice yeah. uh, says something about the society versus a society where people would have to formulate thoughts and being expected to formulate original thoughts. Mm. Oh. So there, obviously there are um, uh, differences um, and they are very res to be respected and, uh, and uh, as much as possible to be um, taken into account when we, when we interact with a person from another culture. Yeah, of course. And uh, being willing to learn as well, being open-minded. Yes. I think that's yes. the key. I, I've lived in, uh, I haven't lived in as many places as you, <laughs> obviously, but I've lived in uh, South Korea for around one and a half years. I, I lived there. Um, and, you know, the culture difference, like there in Korea and Sweden, like, it's so it's very big like the difference is so big and especially when i got involved in coaching over there i noticed uh -huh. how big it really was uh -huh. uh, so i had to learn a lot from it was difficult for me to find co life coaches over there but i found a few and the ones mm -hmm. i connected with they taught me so much in different mm -hmm. ways of thinking and and that just really opened my mind because i realized that you know what, there is this thing that I'm doing now with this coaching and it might apply to the way that I do my coaching perhaps might apply to people in Sweden, mm. but perhaps not in the people of Korea. And for some people it might apply, but for some other people it might not apply. But what can I learn so that I can advance my coaching uh, to this culture here? Because if I can do that, that means that I'm adapted. I can adapt the way that I think. I can adapt the philosophy behind my coaching. Because in Asian countries, usually sometimes in the Far East, there's a lot of focus on the collective growth yes. instead of the individual growth. Yes. I think that was the biggest eye-opener for me. That mm. thinking about a larger circle of concerns around you sometimes is more important than your own wishes and desires. Absolutely. And I could never understand that because I was like, no, but life is about me. Life is about the direction that I want to take, not what other people expect me to take. Mm -hmm. But over there, it's more normal to be following a certain path of expectation from society. Absolutely. And, and you know, I don't want to compare and say this is wrong and this is the correct way because to be honest, there is no such thing. It's all relative. It's all from the perspective that you're looking from. And um, being able to see, perhaps see the benefits of their side of the story 
is uh, of an extreme benefit for me as well. And um, I just wanted to share that. Perhaps you've experienced something similar in uh, Japan. Oh, yes, it, it, absolutely. Um, I have been humbled uh, a few times in Japan. Uh, give you an anecdote. Uh, after my, my two years in, in Germany, where I was worldwide account director on Adidas, when I came back to our same company in Japan and spent another seven years there, the vice president called me in and he said, Wasan, um, you are Mr. Adidas in the world now. And so I said, oh, is that so? And he said, yeah, among our people here, you are Adidas son, you are Mr. Adidas. So you are going to be joining the soccer team. <laughs> and I said, uh, um, I'm not sure, I'm already 45 and um, uh, <laughs> soccer is not really my forte. And he said, maybe you play, you play goalie, but you have no choice. You are Mr. Adidas. Adidas is soccer. You go play soccer. <laughs> so I, so they, I, they gave me a kit and I went to uh, play my first uh, soccer match as a goalie. I had no experience. Right? My family was on the sideline watching. And after five minutes, Zam, the first goal, I went into my cage. And I felt, oh, hmm, uh, I, why didn't I catch that one? And uh, to my big surprise, the two players, I don't know what the word in English, the rear, the two guys who were at the rear supposed to protect me, mm. they both came and bowed to me and apologized for doing a bad job. Oh. Is that something one remembers? for a lifelong. Oh, yeah. That says something about individual responsibility, about the sense of being part of a team. You know, they didn't come screaming at me saying, you lousy, whatever. No, they just came and said, we're sorry, we, we did a, a, a bad job. Um, and, and I don't think it's because I was a foreigner to Mr. Adidas or whatever. It, they were genuinely expressing their um, feelings on, on, on that thing. So yes, uh, things of that kind, uh, I am um, very familiar. But going back to your what you were saying about you being uh, with people in South Korea, this brings to mind the fact that um, somebody, uh, people ask me, you're a coach, what do you coach about? And I said, uh, anything. Mm. I've been coaching dentists about their practice. I have a lawyer client in Spain, a, a banker in the UK, and um, anything. And they said, but surely you can't, you know, um, you can't be telling people what's right. And I said, ah, ha, 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 ha. I don't tell people what's right. They know. They have the references. They have, and if they don't have the references, I'll invite them to go and and and, and discover. Mm -hmm. So, yes, when I was in Japan, what really led me to this becoming a to becoming a coach is that it was humbling. I couldn't tell my teens what to do. 
right. because I didn't know their culture. I didn't know what was the, the, the communication mechanism that would convert people to go to Club Med, which was my client, or, or uh, buy Citroën cards or, or the clients that I was managing. Um, I had to act through other people. My, influence, my, my job was to get my Japanese colleagues to perform, to deliver the best possible advertising campaign for their country, for their fellow country people. And my job was to be listening, making sure that that was right for the product or for the brand, and then convincing the, the, the Western uh, manager, CEO, or whatever, that this idea that they didn't understand anything about was good. For example, when we launched Danone, um, little fresh cheese aimed at children, um, um, which was called Petit Danone in Japan. Um, the creative team came to me and they said, okay, this is the, how the commercial goes. There are kids coming out of school and, um, and, uh, somebody, and, and there's uh, this lady uh, policeman who is uh, helping them cross the street. And, and, they, and after a very short sequence of that, we see this, wo this woman who is recommending for children after school that they eat a petit danone because it's good for their health, blah, 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 blah. But in France, the lady policemen at the time were hated because they were th those putting parking tickets. Mm. So when I saw this recommendation from my Japanese police, my reaction was saying, no way. No, no way I'm going to have a female policeman recommending the product. That's the best way to alienate the, 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 the people. That was in my early years in Japan. And then they explained to me that this woman is a semi-god to Japanese mothers because this woman makes sure their kids are safe. This woman is in charge of kids. She is like a, a, a second mother to kids. So yes, that, that character of the female policeman is the ideal spokesperson for uh, the petit danon fresh cheese. Mm. I had to understand and accept, and then I had to go and tell the CEO of the company, who was also a Frenchman, why what looked like a repulsive idea to him was actually an excellent idea for Japan. Mm. This is just an illustration of you know, cultural differences. Are. So when it comes to coaching, asking the client, asking the client, asking the client, and asking why the client is thinking that way, or asking why the client wants what's good in the, this intention or at, intended action that the client has in mind, digging, even if we don't know, digging into the environment of their plans uh, is something we can do. So I can work with a lawyer, I can work with a dentist, and I can work with uh, anybody. Right. It's a very um, flexible skill. Yeah. One has to be flexible. And this is the difficulty of people who are ex um, managers retiring who say who says I, I can be a coach to other people, but uh, in in a specific industry, and by giving advice, 
I'm sorry, this is not coaching. Right. Although, Danielle, although, Danielle, you were mentioning that uh, there are many forms of coaching. In France, the coaching has become very universal. Uh, when, when there is a um, sports match and you're watching on TV, so suddenly you hear that, oh, there's some coaching going on. That means it's a player swap. They pull out one player and replace him with another one. In the, the, uh, France, the sports commentator in France call that coaching. Okay, that's, that's, their thing. that's their thing. It's not my coaching. And in the same way, if you go to a spa, they'll, they'll ask you if you want to hire a coach for an hour or two hours to teach you moves underwater or whatever. So it's difficult for the general public to understand what a real coach, pure coaching, uh, can do for them. Right, right. But I think um, the, the reason some people, I mean, real coaching is about asking questions. Yeah. But there are, of course, certain niche, niches within coaching, perhaps, because I don't think coaching is a closed title or what, what you call, I don't really know what you call it in English, but if you call yourself a coach in some specific field, you're not going to get sued for calling yourself a coach. No. Uh, you know, it's not like you call yourself, a, if you call yourself a psychologist and you're not a psychologist, then obviously there is some legal issue right there. But when it comes to coaching, people can call themselves coaches however they want. Yes. They can say, well, I'm an, uh, I'm a business coach. I am, a, I don't know, sports coach, whatever. So it's a very broad title in that sense. The coaching that you and I are, you and I are talking about is the, um, from the, 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 the principles from the International Coaching Federation, which is about asking questions, not giving yeah. advice, not mentoring because exactly. being a mentor is a completely different thing. Daniel, you, you know of the EMCC, uh, European Mentoring and Coaching Council. EMCC is a US, is a UK-based um, organization, but which has uh, chapters in many uh, countries of Europe. Uh, they also are advocating um, that coaching is a specific profession and they also, but they, their, their, uh, their organization includes mentoring and uh, coaching. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is teaching, coaching is asking questions. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, coaching is something that everyone can learn, really. That, that's really the cool thing about coaching. It's like you don't have to specialize in a certain field to be able to be a good coach. You can yeah, focus on coaching and you can spread throughout any field, really, because the Absolutely. purpose is to help people. The purpose is to guide people. And we're all people, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm wondering sometimes, because this is something that I've been reflecting on lately for the last three years, being your own coach, do you think that's possible? Uh it, you would have to be extremely talented to be your own coach, because um, uh, what you see, if what you see in the mirror in your bathroom, mm. is not you. But if you want to coach to that particular individual you see in your bathroom mirror, 
you're coaching somebody else. Um, and also, when, uh, this triggers a memory of when I was in, in uh, school and our philosophy teacher said, introspection is uh, impossible. Uh, so it triggered attention from the students. And he said, introspection is impossible because you can't go and look at the window, look, go to the window and look at yourself walking in the street. Mm-hmm. And that image just stayed with me because how can you, because we have filters, we, we are not even conscious of our own filters, um, but we have filters which comes from habits, from training, from um, beliefs, uh, from a number of experiences which have shaped our perceptions and our reactions. Okay, mm-hmm. now, Um, We're not aware of those, but they are influencing any one of our thoughts and reactions. So um, in order to have those challenged, uh, one would have to detect they're there uh, and possibly challenge them so that they would be either accepted and comforted or um, dismissed giving freedom to to go into areas where before one wouldn't have gone because there was this preconceived or this acquired belief that that's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, so intellectually, to be able to coach yourself, uh, you'd have to be able to detect your own uh, filters, your own um, um, hang-ups or whatever it is. I'm, I'm not sufficiently trained. I don't have the vocabulary here to, to define the, the concept precisely. But you see where I'm going? It, yeah. how, can, how can one... Uh, it's like for those of us who have a life partner, uh, we know that sometimes our life partner reacts to something we said. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that surprises us. It's because we've said it with a tone which has been perceived and interpreted by the partner, but we're not conscious we put that tone. You know, when my wife says, you don't have to be angry when you say that. Mm. And I look at her and I sort of think, you know, what is she talking about? I'm not angry. But if I, if I try to really quickly remember what I've said, and perhaps the sound of my voice or uh, the, the speed or the tone, perhaps there was room for her to detect anger. Yep. And I was not aware. So how can one do that by oneself? Very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's possible? I doubt it, honestly. <laughs> Okay. I, 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 I'm carefully not saying it's impossible, but I doubt it because of the challenges it would, I mean, the, the openness that it would require, I guess, with a lot of meditation. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could progress in that direction, but if you meditate a lot, you're sort of sidestepping the main flow of life. Of, of life in society uh, and, and um, 
So it's creating, yes, certain conditions, but it's, it's, it's far, probably far easier to live a um, control and improved life if you are restricting the scope of that life. Mm. Yeah. And I don't, I, don't, I don't wish my clients to restrict the scope of their life. I just wish them to be um, handling it uh, with joy and, uh, and, and success. I don't know, you, you've seen that one of my email addresses is coach at less stress, more success. I have a website, which is lessstressmoresuccess.com. Um, and people find it very, uh, very uh, intriguing, this concept of living with less stress and more success. Mm. But it goes in that direction. I see. Yeah, uh, on the self-coaching part, like to be your own coach, mm. the, the way that I think about it is that if you can be guided by someone who does not even know you, mm. then why should you not be able to be guided by yourself who knows you the best, really? You, because, sorry, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, my answer is because you don't know yourself. Right. You, 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 have an, you have a perception which is tainted by what you dreamt to be as a, as a, as a child or what you dreamed to be an, an, an objective that you... Your perception of yourself cannot be objective. That's my, my starting point. And from there, uh, how can you coach yourself or you can ask yourself if you you can i think you can build a questionnaire and every day go through a checklist of questions and try and answer them honestly uh but that's only uh scratching the surface i see i see very interesting viewpoint there i because i was also thinking that you know in the sense of um self-coaching and not like like you said you're totally right we do not know ourselves but you know what the, I think the biggest problem is? Is that we don't know that we don't know ourselves. Yes. And yes. we can become aware that we don't fully understand ourselves and that we basically just live life relatively through our own subjective conditioned experience, which is all it is, because perception is so relative and we all have our own filters and uh, self-deception and all of those things. But I still believe that awareness is the key to solving these issues. Ooh, awareness right. is the key to everything. Because when we do coaching with someone, what is the number one key? Like we talked about the sixth sense. It's the awareness. And people are just simply not aware. They don't know how to be aware. We think that we are aware because we're just basically going through our day in a very ro robotic way as well and through our programmings and this and that everything is just set for us for us really and we do it without awareness perhaps a few moments of the day we are aware and the, but sometimes the majority we're not aware so we can learn to become aware not only can we become aware of what's around us we can also become aware of ourselves and when i say ourself i'm not talking about that 
the self that I think that I am is becoming aware of itself because that does not work. I would have to have a mirror you know, in order to always see myself in that sense. What I mean is that there is a, an awareness that's always there. It's always present. And we can connect more to that because that's essentially what we are. Because Absolutely. we can never have anything outside of awareness. It's all within the awareness. So if we can learn to see ourselves more objectively through this awareness, then perhaps we can start seeing the self that is going through our everyday experience from a more objective perspective. And in that case, be able to change. Yes. Uh, you, I don't know you, what you think about that idea, but... I, I, I subscribe to that idea. Uh, and perhaps my original reaction was because I always associate the word coaching to following, working towards a specific goal. Mm. In other words, a coach... Uh, you, you can. Uh, I'm all in in favor of um, uh, um, what it, the French word is: plain conscience, the awareness, and 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 practicing uh, um, full awareness. Um, but when we're talking about uh, coaching, and because coaching is about moving from point A to point B, overcoming, uh, overcoming uh, uh, laziness or overcoming obstacles. Or, or there's always a, a, a challenge, an evolution that's involved. In the coaching process, there is, a, there is a, an evolution which is sought, and there is an evolution that is generated by the coaching process. What the coach often does is detect in the client uh, words, attitudes, which point to filters, which point to potential blockage, which point to uh, um, or, or maybe areas which has not been explored by the client. So it's the listener who, when observing uh, the manifestations of the client, um, detects something and can prod and can go and, and touch and push where that particular client wouldn't have gone by himself. So, and with the specific objective to generate progress in one specific area. That's my understanding of coaching. Uh, in the old days, there was this concept of, oh, in French, directeur de conscience, somebody who was, who was uh, going to help you behave correctly it was usually attached to religion or uh, somebody who was uh, helping you in having the right attitude in front of your faith or something. That person was acting to maintain you within guidelines, uh, trying to help you understand and be happy within those guidelines. Now, when we talk about coaching, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about guidelines. We're, we are saying this person has the potential and my role is to detect anything that's going to help this person manifest his or her potential and develop and be as happy and successful and whatever. So the, this is the observer's role, which is so important to, um, to help the person develop because the observer reveals 
to through questions, through comments or whatever, uh, reveals or helps helps or triggers new areas of consciousness, to new areas of awareness. This is why, in absence of that observer, an observer from a different perspective, mm. uh, I find it difficult. Mm. I'm in line with what you said, Danielle, about being aware and having having a consciousness uh, applied to the way we live to detect where, if anything, you know, can be, must be changed, amended, whatever. Mm. To me, is associated with specific evolution on a specific topic. Yeah, I see. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like you said, it, it is very difficult. It is the most difficult thing <laughs> to know yourself and to be able to, um, to help yourself, really. I think that's, it's always like that. It's always, you know, sometimes easy to look at other people and say they can, you know, they should do this, they should do that. But then when it applies to yourself, like, yeah, try to fight this habit you have for now 15 years. I mean, you're not going to be able to do it. It's like it's your willpower against this programmed habit. And uh, if, well, if you're able to find the right techniques in order to change yourself, change your habits in very small ways, really, you know, to, because I, first, I believe my personal philosophy on change is really to, I, I don't want to say that you first change the external in the way where you should trick yourself and delude yourself, mm -hmm. but sometimes going inside first can be a hassle because people don't know what that means. Yeah. So if you change small things in your external world, perhaps you wake up a different hour, you perhaps have a checklist of things that you're going to do, very tiny, basic things. Over yeah. time, these things can help you because yeah. you're just following through a program and that program will become a program within you. So that's going to oh, be yeah. a part of you in the end. So oh, there's yes. not going to be any separation on that point. Yes. Yes, absolutely. The, the, in the, the coaching process normally leads to an evolution that, that the person will not go back, not fall back onto uh, past behaviors because it's not that they will obey instructions from the coach. It's because they will have reached an awareness that, oh God, this is what I want to do. I really want that. I want it. Mm. Uh, in the coaching process not all coaches do that but I was trained in having the client come to a coaching session having filled the coaching preparation form and in that form it, it, the client writes this is what I had intended to do since the last session this is what I did this is what I didn't do um, and um, this is what I want to achieve with the next session uh, that particular form helps the client to be aware of his or her own progression, non-progression, be aware of it. And because the form asks, this is what I want to get out of the next session, it also drives the client to be focused on, okay, I'm going to spend 150 bucks with my coach in the next hour. What do I want to get out of it? You know, do I just want yeah. to talk about my life or do I want to get something out? Um, so there is a focus. And if 
that form in itself helps my clients to come to the session having tuned to their own progress, having had to look at what was achieved, what was not achieved, and thought about why, why it was not achieved. So when we, when we work together during a coaching session, there is a fertile ground for progress and for progression of their frame of mind and their intentions. And that's why it's so powerful. Absolutely. I have another anecdote there. When, when I was in UK, I was trying to help to promote my coaching business by going to breakfast meetings of, um, of BNI, Business Network International. And one morning, I gave a, a spiel about what coaching is. It had to be very brief, but still, I tried to say what it was. And then after that, we were queuing at the breakfast buffet, and one of the participants came to me and he said, Christian, that was that was very impressive. What, what you said, but you know what? If I wanted that kind of advice, that go to my mother-in-law. <laughs> so that said, he was not ready at all to get into the process because he was defensive. Yeah, he was. He was saying, you know, I don't want to change. Mm. So there's no room for coaching. People who don't want to change don't have to pay for the coach services because it's money down the drain. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so there is future for coaching because there's still a huge number of people who are um, not ripe, not Mature, uh, uh, mature is the wrong word. To say that somebody's not mature is probably uh, not fair. But they're not, they're not ready to let go of some of their habits or ways of doing things and move forward. Yeah. If we had a video connection, Danielle, I'd show you one of the graphics that I use with my clients which shows a little character walking from the left to the right. And that character wants to move forward, but behind that character, a certain distance behind it, there's a pillar, there's a stake in the ground, and there's an elastic band from that person waist to the pillar. And that, I say to my client, that is all the ingrained habits, the beliefs, the rules that one thinks are imperative, the behaviors that one considers are acceptable, unacceptable, desirable, all this framework. And this person wants to move forward, but this elastic band holds him or her, slows down the progression. So what do we do? We plant another stake way in front of the person, and that's the objective. This is what I want. This is where I want to go. Yeah. I have to be clear, okay? And then, and then we can tie another elastic band between that objective and the person. And then the progression becomes a little easier because there is this elastic band putting you forward towards your objective. That's part of the work. But, part of, but in order to make that progression easier and possible, you have to weaken the elastic band that ties you to your 
past, your inhibitions, your uh, rules, the rules which you think are so imperative, blah, mm. blah, blah. You, you see the visual uh, dynamic of that particular image. And it says to people, do you have a clear objective? Are you committed to it? Is that elastic band pulling you, really? Mm. And are you prepared to weaken the one that's holding you back? Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting, yeah. And uh, it, wh what's also interesting there is what are the real, what, what's really the thing that's challenging those past beliefs and those past habits? Because, yeah, you have, if you have an objective, if you have a goal, if you have some a vision that you're working towards, if that desire is strong enough and if the vision is strong enough, then that should be enough to conquer the past. But there is a trick to this as well, because it's not always we, we, uh, we get self-deluded in a way, because it's not always that we have this strong motivation. It's not always that this vision is strong, because we have bad days. We have times where things are just not going our way. We have times where we're in despair and we don't really know what to do at all. And this vision that we have gets smaller and smaller and we get sucked back in into the continuous habit that we're going through every day. And that's our standard. That's what we're used to. And unfortunately, sometimes we get pulled back to, to that again. So in that sense, the coach is an excellent tool that we can use in that uh, in that regard, an uh, external coach, of course, or an internal, <laughs> to really no, no, right. to to really remind ourselves that you know what, why did I start this from the beginning? Why did I make this investment? Investment? Why did I want to change? And then we can realize that oh, okay, the objective is still there. It's not gone because it was always within me. I decided yeah. it for be there to be there. If yeah. I decided it to be there, then I can make it happen. I can put it to life again, yeah. and then we can continue moving forward. You said the word. I decided it to be there. This is, this is why, this is all about motivation. This is all about the essential need to have a motivation to move forward. He talks into leadership abilities, you know, motivating yeah. people, giving them a really reason to bust their... Uh, background to um, achieve I, uh, this I decided is so important but just a side note on what you just said about the relationship with the coach the relationship with the coach should be uh, should have a financial price there should be a commitment in order to enhance the commitment it's better that the coach that the coach cost money yeah, yeah. Because if, if the coach is free of charge, and also if there is no penalty for missing an appointment, then uh, it becomes too easy to take it uh, casually. So mm -hmm. this is why uh, I am very strict on that. First, you know, I'm not cheap. Uh, I'm effective, but I'm not cheap. And, and if the client doesn't cancel with 24 hours notice, then sorry, uh, uh, it, it's all perfect, it's all paid in advance and it's discounted, it's lost otherwise it's too easy to say yeah, well, uh, yeah, 
uh, I'll talk to Christian later on. Yeah. And 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 coast. If you live your life coasting, you it's a way, it's an option. I'm not criticizing people who live their life coasting. It's just that they will have different um, paths and they'll leave they'll, they'll land in other places. Everyone has to choose where they want to go and uh, do what's right to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just like you said, with the money investment, you know, people automatically, we put value onto what we pay for. And yeah. money is a very tangible, concrete thing uh, that's controlling a lot of our lives. So if we invest money, then that means that we will do it because sometimes we put the money above ourselves. So mm -hmm. the intention in that sense will automatically become above us. And um, that will kind of force us into uh, pushing our comfort zone and going to these coaching sessions that we have paid for. And we're going to have to change. I mean, we want to make something out of it because we have invested in it. So um, in that regard, um, coaching is, is excellent in that sense. And also that's why it's important to actually know your price as a coach and know really the value that you have to give um, through your coaching. But I wonder yeah. with your specific coaching um, or the coaching that you do, which is very broad as you've explained, um, how do you find clients nowadays? Like, do they come to you? Do they already know you? It's interesting to, to know. This is a very interesting topic, but what I haven't told you is that I'm 77 years old. Right. I'm not chasing clients at that stage. Right. Uh, um, I, I have a pension, and, and uh, the work I do, I do out of uh, um, uh, pleasure. Uh, it really is such a delight to be able to... Um, have that kind of effect on on people's uh, destinies and lives. Uh, um, I, I have clients that uh, have been with me. I was the other day looking at uh, uh, the statistics, and I realized that uh, I have a client now who is a Spanish lawyer living in Madrid. He's been working with me for 18 years. Wow. Now, going back to your question, how do I find clients? I don't find clients anymore. <laughs> I don't go for them. Uh, they find me on the web. They find me through referral. They find me through people. And I don't wish to have many, many, many. Uh, uh, because I, I, at my, in my age bracket, I want to enjoy the years that I live, uh, um, perhaps away from my computer or my telephone. So... Um, but the, so the clients that, that come to me come because I have um, an established um, image, I'm, on, I'm present on a number of things, uh, or referrals. Uh, but um, if your question is, is, is destined to enlightening people who are starting in that business, uh, at some point in time, I created a special, uh, um, Coach training school in Spain uh, with Jose Luis Menendez. And the company still goes on, called Ola Coach, but I, I uh, walked away from it in 2007. Um, but the people who were trained 
from that school. Then they were suddenly coming out of it being decent coaches, uh, but having no clientele. So I created a distance um, uh, uh, training course called Clientes Agogo, Clients Agogo, uh, which was based on my marketing experience, uh, telling telling people, uh, helping people to understand the basics of uh, shaping your image, communicating your image, uh, using the media to to uh, to be known uh, and to be to appear interesting, which involved, among other things, uh, promoting coaching, promoting coaching as a way of influencing your quality of life. So, people who are looking for clients today is challenging. It's challenging because so many coach labels, which are not purely coaching, have muddied the waters. Mm. Uh, it is challenging because uh, the, the proliferation of uh, media, whether it's the old printed media, the electronic media, the social media, uh, uh, have are bombarding everybody today with a number of uh, uh, stimulation, which is mind-boggling. Mm. So I'll zero in onto the trust factor. You, somebody who 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 wants to uh, gain new clients has has to be known, has to be yes, mentioned to those people, and to develop a trust. Yeah. Um, to me, I don't ever start a coaching relationship and I don't send an invoice until we've had 30 minutes on the phone and felt each other. We're, we're like, you know, two animals sniffing each other. Do I want that client? And that client has to say, do I want, do I trust this guy? Do I want to open up with this guy? Mm. So, so there is an in in-depth relationship building, which, uh, requires that, uh, you know, many marketers will talk to you about the funnel, and the funnel you 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 spread messages on a very wide audience, and then you get them messages that actually um, <clears throat> filter them until only the most motivated stay, and finally press that or click on that button that says yes, I want, and yeah. get in touch with you. I don't think this is a place to give you a marketing course to the people who listen to your podcast, Daniel, but uh, it's tough getting clients if you're a new coach uh, in the market. It's easier if you're an old monkey like me. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks a lot. Um, and I, like you said there with the first, having a, a, like a free session for like 30 minutes just to get to know each other is... Uh, it's an extremely good strategy there. Uh, yeah. To me, it's critical. Yeah. All right. Um, if people want to find your coaching, find you, get to know more about you, is there any way for my listeners to do that? Yes, there is a website, uh, which is trilingual, uh, <clears throat> but in the, the main gate is... Uh, uh, 
www.less-stress-more-success.com. Less-stress-more-success.com. All right. They can see my face. They can look at my life story. They can download uh, my books uh, free of charge Mm. for many of them. And if they're Spanish-speaking, they can even listen to guided meditations there to help them uh, focus and uh, restore their inner peace. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Everyone listening, make sure you check out that website. Uh, Christian, it's been an honor to speak to you. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's been a good episode. I'm very thankful for that you wanted to join. Um, Awesome. And if you want to join again some episode in the future, you're very welcome to do that because I bet we can talk about many things. You and I <laughs> very yeah. interesting person. And uh, well, thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it. It's very gracious of, of you. I think you're, you're doing uh, something which is very valuable for your listeners. And uh, uh, yes, I, I might be back if you invite me again. Great. And everyone listening, thank you for listening. And uh, check out my website, consciousmotivations.org. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or iTunes. And remember to stay conscious. Bye.